0: Um, if you can, just go ahead and turn to First Kings, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 23. That's what we're going to focus our time on. That's what we're going to devote our time on is 2 Kings chapter 23. Um, if you are here for the first time, I know there's always some a few few of you who get on here for the first time, and I know some of you who've been here from the gate. Uh, from the beginning, you know that this is what we do every morning. We spend time in the reflection of the word. We spend time in the Uh, we spend time committing to the reading of the Word, uh, and it's a meditational reading. So, um, hey, Petu, good to see you, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, And so what we're going to do here is we're essentially just spending 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, today closer to 20, but 20 to 30 minutes just reading through Scripture, and then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes prayerfully reflecting through whatever the Lord is uh, convicting us of by the power of His Holy Spirit in the morning that we are here. I come with nothing prepared, okay? I have nothing prepared. I'm simply here to uh, to hear what the Lord is speaking into my heart today. And you have an opportunity to eavesdrop into that. And that's what we're here to do. Um, what we do is, and this is what I wanna encourage you to do, is as we spend time in the reading of the word, I want you to read the word differently. I want you to posture your spirit and incline your heart towards the word, not just your mind. But your heart, and what you're going to ask is, and as you open and as you ask these questions and as you pray through these questions, you're opening your spirit to hear from the Lord. What you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? That's what we're going to ask, and we're going to hear from the Lord through our time in the reading of the word father i just thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be here to come together father bless us today lord we need you today Lord, we need your wisdom we need your grace we need your mercy lord you send your word your mercies are new every day father we need it today Um, lord just give us lord understanding give us clarity uh give us encouragement um And we ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. 2 Kings 23, and I will read from verse 1. You guys, please read along with me. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he heard in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which has been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and, and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second organer, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord, all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places and the cities of Judah and in all the places all around Jerusalem, and those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. <laughs> and he brought back, sorry, he brought out of the wooden image, he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord. the book Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the book Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high And defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of moloch Then he removed all the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made in the altars of Manasseh, which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into B- B- Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar of the high place. He broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it with powder and burned the wooden image As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain. And he said and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. Who proclaimed these words? Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done at the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altar and burned men's bones on them and returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been Held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in the days, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. That he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. Now, therefore, sorry, now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor after him did any rise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Hmm. Hmm. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house, which I said, my name shall be there. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megadu when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megadu, brought him to Jerusalem, buried him in his own tomb, and the people of the land took Jehoahaz the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamotel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. (laughs) Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Ribla in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land, a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in his place of his father's Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoaz and went to Egypt and he died there. Hmm. Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from all the people of the land and from everyone according to his assessment and gave it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was five, 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebuda, the daughter of Pedaiah, of, of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all his fathers had done. In the days that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, Jehoiakim became a vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. And he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which had been spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely the commandment of the Lord this Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also because of the innocent blood that he had shed for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, then Jehoiakim his son reigned in his place and the king of egypt did not come out of his land anymore for the king of babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of egypt from the brook of from the brook of egypt to the river euphrates jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned in jerusalem 3 months his mother's name was Neheshta, the daughter of elnathan Of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon in the eighth year of his reign took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces the articles of gold, which Solomon, the king of Israel had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Mm -hmm. Also, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000 all who were strong and fit for war. Thus, the king of Babylon brought them captive to Babylon. Then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place. And he changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libda. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because the anger of the Lord had happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all, all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people in the land. And the city wall was broken through. And all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around the city. And the king went by way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army were scattered from him. So they took the king, brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound his bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. And the fifth month on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year. Sorry. Um, Hold on a second. They're telling me there's no sound after verse 16. I don't know. Man, IG has been a problem. I'm going to get out and then I'm going to get back in again. Let's see. It's unfortunate that IG is doing this. Thought I fixed the problem, but apparently not. I, I I I'm this is my last shot with IG. If it's not working, it's not working. I, I <sighs> Yeah, it's unfortunate. sorry i g people sorry i g family what I'll do is is for this episode again I'll post this also on patreon this time around and um and I'll put it in my story so that way you guys can can see it I'll make it available to you guys that's unfortunate I'm sorry about that guys okay verse seven. Verse seven, then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out Put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, the servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, that is all the houses of the great. He burned with fire and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard carried away the captives and the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had diverted, who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. Thus bronze pillars were Put in the house of the Lord and the cards of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, the bronze utensils with which the priest ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the kings of the solid, sorry, the things of, the sol- of, of solid gold and solid silver and the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one C, and, two, and the carts, which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital of it was in bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network of pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with a network. And the captain of the guard took Saraiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had the charge of the men of war. Five men of the king, king's close associates who were found in the city, the, recruiting, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the city, the 60 men of the city in the land who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon in Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. Then he made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Safin, governor, over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. And when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, Heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Johanan, the son of Serha, Sariah, the son of Tanumath, and uh, Tanumath, the Netophathite, (laughs) Jezaniah, the son of Makathite. they and their men, and Gedaliah, Took an oath before them, and their man said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Now it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah. The Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mispa, and all the people, small and great, and the captains of the army arose and went to Egypt. For they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now it came to pass, in the third, in the thirty-seventh year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, they were a regular ration given to him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. <sighs> Uh it's I'll put it this way, we're here. <laughs> um if you have been journeying with us through the read and rants, you would know that we are committing this time twenty to thirty minutes a day, half a Netflix episode a day, to the reading of the word with the intent of reading the entire Bible. There are those of you who have been journeying with me in this. And for many of you, congratulations, because this is probably the first time you've ever read through the entire Bible. And yet you're going to say this at the end of all of this, that you've read through the entire scripture. And even after we read through the entire Old Testament, we're going to go back and read through the entire New Testament again. If this is your first time, you're like, man, I wish I wish I knew about this and I I would want to be a part of that. We actually have a podcast for it. That's what we do. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we post the lives that we do here. And so I would encourage you to join that, the Read and Rant podcast, where you can catch up with the readings. And so you'll get a reading every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So I would encourage you to do that. I'm almost at 25,000 subscribers, which is amazing. I want to thank all of you who have supported, who are subscribed and who have been receiving the Read and Rants. Now, we don't simply just read the word, but then we do a, what we call a rant where I simply just I just simply reflect on what the scripture is speaking into me. OK, um, simply reflecting on the truth of the scripture and how that applies to me today. This is a meditational reading. It's not a Bible study. While there is a place to do it, there is a Bible study. and Thank you for bringing that up, Purtis. Um we have a Bible study uh, on Tuesday, and I'm looking forward to it. We're doing the Book of Revelation. I want to encourage those of you who will be engaged in the Bible study. Uh, all the details are on Patreon um, for those of you who are patrons. But if if you are if you are uh, uh, attending the Bible study, I want to encourage you to go back to the Read and Rant podcast, and I want you to just go if you haven't yet. I want you to at least. Uh, go over that podcast. Those, those, I believe it was four episodes of the Read and Ramp podcast. And the reason why that's important is because I am going to do some teaching in reference to what was already spoken about. Okay, um, and, and that's really why. Thank you. I appreciate that, Kurt. Um, I, 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 I want you guys to read through it because I am going to go in with the presumption that you guys have read it. It's kind of the prerequisite because again, we, we're we're going to spend about 2 hours in the book of Revelation, so I can't go through all the details and read everything in the book of Revelation. But I do want to give a um I want to give you guys a uh, at least a, a perspective and to give you an overview of what the text is actually about because again, Revelation is one of the mis- misunderstood and misappropriated books in the Bible. And so hopefully it will bring greater understanding to you. And maybe I can demystify it for you and decode it for you, uh, because, uh, Revelation is an overly mystified book and it's a misinterpreted book. And I hope it will encourage you at the end of the day. If you're looking to, um, to, to join us on Patreon or to support on Patreon, it's, um, it's in the, it's the link in the bio. Okay. It's the link in the bio. Um, um, you'll see the first one says become a patron. And also I'll post the link to this particular uh, episode, given that we've had some difficulties with IG. So anyway, I'll post this link so that way you you guys can can connect with it and you guys can get this particular read and rent. If anything, I mean, I'm just going to have to just deal with the fact that IG just may be a sporadic platform for me right now. Um, but anyway, um, I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Um, and I look forward to journeying with you guys. Okay. Um, and it's Isaac Frere on Patreon. If anybody's looking, it's Isaac Frere on Patreon. The ministry is called Opus Frere, but it's Isaac Frere. One day I'll share that. Maybe I'll share that on Patreon as well. I'll share the story of how the name Opus Frere came about. Because I know some people are asking that question. Like, what's Opus Frere? I don't know where that comes from. And maybe I'll I'll share it uh, with you guys. But Opus was my, um, my music producer name. And so... Uh, Opus is who I used to be and Frere is my last name. It's who I am now. And so it really speaks into uh, the divine transformation. Uh, but it is Isaac Frere. Yeah, Isaac Frere on Patreon if you search it. But you can also click the link in the bio. Anyway, what I want to do, though, is I want to spend some time to just reflect on this book. We're done now. We've read through First Kings and we've read through Second Kings. And I can't help to get to this point in the book. By the way, First and Second Kings is essentially just one book that was broken up into two books. They kind of just split it into two books because uh, it's it's, it's kind of hard to carry in those days to carry those two books. But um, the canon of Scripture separates First Kings and Second Kings, and that's cool. It's all there. It's really one book. The Book of Kings, but we split it up into two. We read First and Second Samuel, and now we're in First and Second Kings, and we finished First and Second Kings. And I hope, as you've been listening throughout all the reading rants, that you get the big picture of what's happening here, what's transpiring here. There's a promise of a king that we got from the Book of Samuel. There's this is promise of this Messianic king, a king that would restore the kingdom of God, a king that would restore God's people, a king that would reconcile all men to himself, a king that would make all things right in the world, and that this king would come from the lineage of David. That was what was promised in the scriptures. And so now we see what the lineage of David looks like, because it split up into two, where it became the nation of Israel in the north and in the, in the nation of Judah in the south. The nation of Israel in the north, its capital was Samaria. And the nation of Judah in the south, its capital was Jerusalem. And as you guys have been reading, I've, I say this and I'll iterate this one more time. And, and the, the book of Kings should actually more appropriately just be called Not Those Kings. I want you to understand where this book fits within the grand story and the grand narrative. Because what we've been talking about is, is that there were many books written, many books written by the children of Israel. There are many chronicles. As a matter of fact, the book of first Kings tells us that it alludes us to that. Almost every king we read about, it tells us there's more you can learn about that king in the chronicles of the kings of Judah or in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. To notate to you, and, and and I hope you guys have seen it, even as we've read through the Old Testament, that even the Old Testament itself brings reference to other texts, meaning all of it isn't here. I, I, I I'm, I'm, let me just pause here for a moment, and I'm going to say something that sometimes makes whew, Christians uncomfortable, but we're here to bring the the the. the an unadulterated presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I sometimes, and I often say things that make Christians uncomfortable. But there are those who will help, will will lead you to understand that the scriptures have everything. The answer is no, the scriptures don't. Everything isn't in the scriptures. But everything you need is in the scriptures. Let me say that one more time. Scriptures don't have all all information. As a matter of fact, the scriptures don't have all spiritual information. But the scriptures have everything you need. Even as we read the scripture and the Bible, we see the Bible bringing reference to other texts and other books. And so the question that we have to ask is, is why aren't those books in the Bible? Why are, because you know, that, that's the whole thing is, why is that information omitted? Why is that not in the text? And you'll notice even as I teach and when I teach the book of Revelation, I try as much as I can to speak as plainly as possible. And sometimes my plain language can seem slightly oversimplified, but I make it plain so that way You're not confused at all as to what I say. The scriptures don't have everything. The scriptures don't have all the information. But plainly put, these books have been codified in this way to articulate a story. And so all of that information that you're looking for, while may be true and some of it may not, they're not necessary. Let me say that one more time. Again, I'm speaking very plainly. While there may be truth, maybe insight, maybe information from there, they're not necessary. As a matter of fact, they're a consequence to what is necessary, which is what is actually in this text and in this scripture, because the purpose of the scripture is to give us the story of what God is doing, the work that God is doing to bring reconciliation and renewal to all humanity and all mankind. It is a story of how God is restoring humanity and restoring humanity back to him and restoring the earth as a consequence of that. Because the destiny of the earth rests on humanity. Why? Because he put his spirit into man and gave man authority over the earth. He said, let them have dominion. And from that moment on, God executes his authority, executes his righteousness, executes his justice through humanity. The Bible, I want to make sure you understand this. Because when you've got your posture right in the scripture, then you'll actually read it right. The problem is a lot of people don't read it right. They read the scripture for spiritual information. They read the scripture for spiritual insight. They read the scripture for uh, uh, spiritual empowerment and spiritual clarity. They'll read the scripture for all these things. And yet that's not the purpose of the scripture. The purpose of the scripture was to bring revelation to the one who has restored is and continues to bring renewal and restoration to all humanity. It is about Christ. So yes, there are other books. Yes, there's other information. Yes, there are other things out there. Even the Bible brings reference to that. But even though the Bible brings reference to that, if it doesn't point directly to Christ, it doesn't fulfill its purpose in the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture exists to codify a whole uh, volume of books to point to and bring glory to Christ because as colossians chapter 1 tells us that that all glory belongs to Christ it speaks of the preeminence of Christ that all things exist to glorify him things that are spiritual things that are physical things that are material things that are immaterial all things even good and bad good and evil exist for the glory of Christ bringing glory to Christ and so for that reason, you don't stress about the other stuff. Let me make sure I, I, I want to make sure you're here with me, family. We don't stress about the other stuff until we get this, because if we don't get this, the other stuff don't matter. we we're, we're so busy trying to understand the spiritual. And the motion of things and the pattern of things. We're trying to see how, you know, we try to study chakras and horoscopes and and astrology and all these things, not realizing that you're studying the creator, the, the creation, ignoring the creator. And yet, the scriptures give us full understanding and insight in regards to the creator. We've read through the book of Kings and it brings reference to these kings, to these kings. And, and what the book of Kings tells us is they're not even giving you the whole story because there's so much historically that we can learn about every one of these kings, all of these kings. And yet the end result, as we have concluded this book, end result is not one of these kings are the king who would renew and make things right in the world. And so, we are back to the book of Judges again. Remember how we said as we were reading through the book of Judges, the book of Judges ends and the last verse in the book of Judges ends with this. There is no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we saw how the nation of Israel ended in the book of Judges. It ended in moral depravity. It ended in destruction. It ended in poverty. It ended in lack. It ended in pain. It ended in suffering. It ended in sex trafficking. It ended in abuse, it ended in murder and it ended. It was the Game of Thrones. And even the Game of Thrones is PG compared to the stuff that we were reading in the book of Judges. But these were the children of Israel. Like these were the people who were chosen by God. These were the people who were called by God to be the nation of priests. These were the people who God chose to be a nation of people who would show the world what God is like. These were the people who were supposed to be different. Be holy for I am holy. That's what God said. These were the people who were supposed to be profoundly distinct. They lived, they were supposed to live by a different set of rules. These were people who were set aside to show what God was like. And these people ended up looking like everybody else. How sad. And when it ends in the book of Judges, we open up in the book of Samuel with a nation of people in in absolute depravity. And a prophet was called among them, this prophet Samuel, this young prophet was called among them to prepare the way for a king. Saul wasn't the king. David was after God's own heart, but David fell short. David wasn't the king. David has Solomon, which we get to in, in, in the book of first Kings. And Solomon was given incredible wisdom. And yet Solomon was a tragedy as well. Solomon ain't no hero. Saul was no hero. David was no hero. Solomon was no hero to the point where Solomon's sin of compromise led him, led the nation of Israel to be split into two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south, the capital of Judah being Jerusalem, the capital of Israel now being Samaria. Now the the line, Absalom's line of Kings that started with Absalom that was initiated with Absalom to home in the end, they all did evil in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> no heroes in the north, the Northern kingdom of Israel where Samaria was the capital, there were no heroes in the Southern kingdom of Judah. There were a few, maybe three that we've read throughout the book of Kings, who you can say, okay, that guy wasn't so bad, and yet even then they fell short. One king allowed the Babylonians to come in. We talked about that yesterday, didn't create the proper boundaries, and because they didn't create the boundaries, the Babylonians came in, and the Babylonians made a full assessment of all the wealth and the riches of, of Israel and of Judah. And now we see the consequence at the end of all of this. In the end, Israel looks like it hasn't gone anywhere. Israel came into the promised land with promise. And yet because they let Canaanite culture influence them, because they worshipped Canaanite gods and followed Canaanite spirituality and were governed by Canaanite way of thinking. They became a nation who fell under the same consequences as the Canaanites. You live by the Canaanite way, you're going to die by the Canaanite way. I find it funny, family. If you allow me to rant for a moment, I find it interesting how... We want to live as the world, but don't want to suffer the consequences of the world. Like we want to live with this this liberality under our own law and under our own way of thinking, under me, myself, and I, but we don't want to suffer the consequences of everyone who follows that way of living. This is going to be tough, but I got to speak on this for a moment because I find that many of us We say, well, we've been chosen by God. And because we've been chosen by God, God loves us. He loves us so much that he gives us grace. He gives us grace. And this grace that he gives us allows us to have eternal life. Okay, family, let me help you out. Let me help you out. I'm sorry. You guys might not like me after today, but that's okay. Because I love you guys. And I want you to understand this god cannot stop being god god cannot have sin without consequence because if this if if sin comes without consequence then god cannot continue to be god if god permits sin then god cannot be holy and righteous And if God cannot be holy and righteous, then God cannot continue to be God. Sin has consequences. It is the law of things. I taught this before that when we talk about the law of God, we often think about a legal system. We don't think about a natural system or a spiritual system. We talk about the law as in being guilty and not guilty. And yet the law is about a system of action and reaction, decision and consequence. It's not about legal rightness or legal wrongness. When we think about the law, we often think about the law in the sense of, if I can be found not guilty by the law, or if I can hide and not be found guilty by the law, then I don't have to suffer the consequences of the law. But gravity is gravity, family. It's called the law of gravity. The law of gravity is a natural law. You don't get to defy gravity. You can do things to press up against it, but you cannot defy gravity. In the same way, you cannot defy sin. Now, ready for this? The grace of God gives you eternal life. But sin still remains with its consequences. God chose these people. But their choosing to live as the Canaanites live means they suffer the same consequences that the Canaanites suffer. The Canaanites suffer from these things. The Canaanites suffered from from captivity and war and bloodshed. The Canaanites suffered defeat. The Canaanites suffered these things because these are the consequences of of living under a law that deviates from the law of God. It's funny to me how Christians can think that, well, because of the grace of God, I have the liberality to live however way I want to live and yet not suffer consequences from it. No, no, no. What, what Christ saves you from is eternal death. But that doesn't mean he doesn't, that doesn't mean that you cannot suffer physical death. We'll get there when we get to the New Testament. It doesn't mean that yes, the grace of God means that you cannot out his grace. You cannot out his love. And yes, heaven is yours. But on this earth, you sleep around, you're going to have an unwanted pregnancy. You sleep around, you're going to have STDs. You, you, you steal and rob from people. You're going to suffer consequences on this earth. There's payment and consequence because it is the legal system of God. It is the law of God. So therefore, yes, you you say, well, I can't out grace. The Lord has already forgiven me. He has forgiven you. But family, let me tell you something right now. It's the same, same analogy that I've used, and I'll use it over and over again. If If God put a jar of cookies on a table and he says to you, don't eat the cookie. If you choose to eat the cookie, you've sinned. So what the blood of Jesus is and what grace is, is the cookie dispenser that replaces every cookie that you've eaten. So when God comes back to the cookie jar, it's as if you never sinned. However, you did take the cookie and you did eat it. So now if you ate a thousand cookies in a day, the grace of God fills that cookie jar a thousand times. It don't mean that you don't get diabetes You get to be in the presence of God, but you're gonna have diabetes. You're gonna be overweight. (laughs) You're going to suffer disease and sickness. Why? Because there's still consequences to eating the cookie. It's just that the consequence won't be your distance from your heavenly father. You will get to be in his presence. What I find many Christians do is Christians will keep eating from the cookie jar and eating from the cookie jar. And they look and they go, wow, look, the cookie jar has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus covered it. Jesus covered it. Wow, he covered it, he covered it. And then they get upset that they're gaining weight. How, Sway? How? (laughs) Family, Jesus, The love of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. But guess what? Murder is going to get you in jail. This is how it works. Sorry, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. And so we have believers today. Oh my goodness. We have believers today. Who choose to live like Canaan because the, because God's grace, you know, because of God's grace, God has forgiven me of all my sins and everything that I've done. And so, yes, I've been free from, from 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 the eternal consequences of sin. I've been free from it. So people go, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. You're not free to sin. You're free to be in the presence of God. But you're not free to live how you want to live. You don't get to live by your desire. Because you have to die to yourself to be in Christ. You don't get to resurrect and still be presently alive. You got to die to resurrect. And the problem that I find is that many believers today are like the children of Israel. Who have taken on all of Canaanite culture. Not following the law of God the heart of God, the mission of God, the kingdom of God. And then to see how it's ending, it's ending in the same way that it ends for the Canaanites. The text ends in Kings, in the way that it ended in Judges. There is no king in Israel. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. But now at the end of Kings, there is no king in Israel who brings the justice and the righteousness of God. Everyone has been doing what was right in their own eyes. And in the end, they find themselves in captivity. The tension that I'm left with today, family. Ready for this? The tension that I'm left with, family, is even though they're chosen, they're in captivity, even though the children of God are chosen by God, they're in captivity, God's not done with them yet. But now they're under the hand of the Babylonians. I think the saddest thing about this text, about the book of Kings, and then I'm going to close, and I want to I leave you with, with just a thought here. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave you with just a thought as we close out this book, because we're not hopeless here. We know how this ends. But we see the children of God, and that's why I want you to put yourself into the story of the children of Israel to see where they are in this story. But we see that the chapter is ending, the book is ending with Josiah, who I think the craziest thing about this text in in chapter 22, Josiah opens the law. It was like dusted in a corner in the temple. The people hadn't even gotten to it. Everything else consumed them. They didn't even know the word anymore. They didn't even know the law that was given to them. The law that was given to them from Mount Sinai. The law that we read about. And I I, I hate that we call it the law. It's really the book of the covenant. The covenant that God made with the children of Israel. And how this book was sitting in a corner. Declaring to them who they were, what they were called to do, who they were called to be, and the power and the glory of God that would manifest through these people. And this and and and, and Josiah happens to just fall upon the book. He just falls on it. He's like, What's this? Imagine, you're just sitting there and then you're kinda like, Oh, interesting. Well, what, what's I've seen this before. Huh. What's what's this? And he opens it up. Josiah reads it. And then he begins to weep. He begins to weep because the conviction that hits him is this is who we are. This isn't just what we are called to do. And this isn't about a bunch of rules that we ought to obey. This is about the fact that we've lost our way. We've lost our identity. This is who we are. Imagine him reading through Leviticus and imagine him reading through Numbers and reading the story. It was like new information for him. Imagine him reading through Deuteronomy and he's reading through the covenant and he's reading through this law and then he gets to the end and he's convicted and he weeps. Scriptures tell he tears his clothes and he weeps. Because he realizes this ain't us right now. We actually don't look like the people who came into this land. I'm sure the Book of Judges may not—I don't know if it was written yet at that time. I'm trying to think chronologically when the Book of Judges was written and when the Book of uh, when the Kings. Uh, maybe I don't—I don't know. I'll come back to that. I got to go back and 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 do a little study on that. But he probably didn't even have the book of Judges. But if he read the book of Judges, he would weep even more because he would look and he'd say, we look like these people. We actually don't look like the children who came in through Joshua. We look look like the children that came out through Judges. And since Samuel, God's been looking to reinstitute and reestablish his people to their rightful place in who they are. And yet, here we are. Imagine reading the book and going, where were my fathers in this? How come nobody told me about this? This tells you how distant the children of Israel have been from the law of God. It tells you how far gone they are. And what does Josiah do? He cleans up house. Just give me five more minutes, family. He cleans up house. He cleans up house. He, he, he goes in destroys the temples the idols he 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 kills the priests he's cleaning house he's cleaning house he's he's destroying the establishment he's destroying the establishment of of all the soothsayers and and notice in the text what happens when when he goes against all those who are practicing horoscope he the scriptures Directly speak against them; those who have been the, all the astrologers, all the all of the the mediums, all the soothsayers, all the psychics, all of them. He comes and he he gets rid of all of them, speaking specifically about them, saying, "You have chosen your destiny through a realm of the spirit when you have when you have authority in the spiritual realm. You have lost your identity. You've lost yourself." And Josiah goes and he cleans house. Josiah cleans house, but here's the unfortunate reality. He destroyed the institution, but he did not and could not transform the heart. Josiah's heart was transformed by the spirit of God. He destroyed the institution. But he did not and could not change the heart. How do we know that? Because after he cleaned house, the Lord tells him, the people are far gone, Josiah. I'm paraphrasing here. You can go back and read it. We just read it. But but Josiah, he brings the people back to true worship, brings the people back. And yet even then... The Lord tells Josiah, "These people are gone. They're distant. You may have you may have torn down the idols, but the idols are in their heart. You may have gotten rid of um, all the soothsayers and the, the the psychics and the you may have gotten rid of all of the witch doctors and 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 you may have gotten rid of all of them, but the issue is their heart." And they're far gone. Josiah cleaned house, but it was too late. In 2 Kings 23. And we see how it ends. The children of Israel in the end get overtaken by the Babylonians. And they suffer the same fate of all the other nations that were around them because even though you've been called, you can still find yourself in captivity. It's a sad reality, family. It's a sad reality that there are many of us who while we're called by God, we're suffering the captivity of the captives. We're called by God, but We're still dealing with the same pains, the sufferings, and the brokenness of all the children around us who aren't saved. Where is the hope of the children of God? If you look at the statistics in the church and the statistics for those outside of the church, they look the same. We're just as anxious. Anxiety might actually be higher in the church than it is for those outside the church. Unwanted pregnancies are just as high in the church as they are outside the church. We we see depression just as high in the church as it is outside the church. We see divorce rates as high in the church as they are outside the church. And many of us, we've suffered from that. We're products of that. We've hurt from that. And of course, the rest of the world has to look at the church and say, what do I get from that? There's nothing different. There's no king there. Your king is our king. (laughs) Your God is our God. Your lords are our lords. Your politics are our politics. Your policy is our policy. You look just like us. The only difference is you got to show up to something on Sunday. I, You know, we have to really take a hard look at our church and ask, does our church really look different? Do we really look like the kingdom of God? Do we live lives that compel people? Do we, do we, do we really, or do we, we we look like cults where there's nothing really distinct about us. It's just that we have these human beings who control us and control what we do because there's no power there. Just a few chapters ago, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. Give me five more minutes family and then I'm done but I just feel the Lord is really asking me just to dig into this. And my heart is breaking my heart family. My heart breaks for the church. I had a pastor one time ask me and say to me, Isaac, you really speak really negatively about the church. Like you're always speaking negatively about the church. And he said, for a guy with your voice, you know, You really make the church look like you, you really have a problem with the church. And I said, I got no problem with the church. The reason why I talk the way that I talk is because I love the church. I love the church. But this ain't it. This is not the church. This is not the people of God. This is not God's plan. This isn't it. Look at your church. Your children are just as hurt, just as broken. We don't see something different here. We don't see the power of God. We don't see a move of God anymore. We just see another community that looks like the rest of the world. And then we get confused when we suffer the same fate that the children of Israel suffered in the book of Kings. We just saw two chapters ago, Samaria, after Samaria was overtaken, they brought in all these people from all these different nations to come into the city of Samaria. And so now the nation of the nation of Israel just looks like an amalgamation of all different nations and all cultures. And for the, 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 the law of God and the covenant of God was foregone. And all that was left was all the spirituality and ideology of all the pagan nations, Israel lost her identity. The children of Israel lost their identity. And today there's a, there's a church that has lost its identity. There's a church that's lost its identity. People are afraid of the devil now in church. When, they're, when the devil's supposed to be afraid of them. People don't move in the power of God anymore in the church because they've been told, they've been preached a different gospel. And so in the end, the book ends with them in captivity. But here's what I hold on to is the same way these children are about to go into captivity and become the minority. And while they're in enemy territory, the Lord is working something in them. And there's a kingdom that's forming and flourishing. And I believe that there's a kingdom that's about to flourish by the power of Jesus Christ. Because up to this point, They've been trusting in these kings and none of these kings were the king. Yet we're going to learn over and over again the failure of these kings and these people over and over again. The difference between the children of Israel and us. And this is how I'm going to close this book. The difference between the children of Israel and us is they may have been waiting for a king, but we don't need to wait for one we already have one. And he came as promised. Jesus Christ. He came in as promised. He fulfilled what was promised. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the king that would come through the lineage of David. He is the king that would establish his kingdom and make all things right. Jesus. His kingdom is not over nations, his kingdom is over humanity. His kingdom is not in institutions, his kingdom is in hearts. And when he establishes his kingdom in the heart, no institution can break it down. No persecution can break it down. His kingdom begins to permeate through everything. The kingdom of God is here. So we have something better than these people. We have Jesus. They did not. Father, I thank you today, Lord, for the promise in your word. Lord, I thank you that you've given us this story to help us understand and to see the tension that we find ourselves in in this text. For, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you are restoring your people, bringing clarity and insight pointing us to you father to help us see what the purpose of this text is in the first place for us to finally realize what it is that you have done and have accomplished let the beauty of your gospel be made real let us sit in these moments in tension knowing lord god that you are still making everything new let us know that even though we've been called often we may find ourselves in captivity And yet by the revelation of who you are, we can find ourselves set free by your revelation. Father, reveal yourself to your children. Reveal yourself to those who are in captivity, Father. Reveal yourself to those who find themselves among the creative minority. Reveal yourself to those who find themselves in the shadows. Reveal yourself to those who find themselves in darkness. Reveal yourself, Lord, that we may, Lord, one day. Lord, see the full fruition of your kingdom where there will be no pain, no more suffering, no more strife. But Lord, all things would be made new, for you have overcome the world. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.